Hey, welcome to In The Shift, a podcast for when life and faith go off script. My name is Michael Frost, and welcome in to a somewhat delayed episode 34. So my apologies for that if you've been desperately sitting on the edge of your seat waiting for just another In The Shift episode to come out to change your life. Um, This is the first episode I've managed to record since we've entered this full lockdown situation here in New Zealand, which was uh, a few weeks ago now. So we're already some way into it. And and I've spent really this, this period of time trying to figure out how to juggle this life of working from home while also having our little one-year-old, Rufus, at home with me and my wife working at the hospital uh, pretty much full-time. And so that's been a new experience trying to juggle all of those things. It has been, in many respects, incredibly uh, beautiful and and lovely, really, to spend so much one-on-one time with Rufus because that's something I haven't had the opportunity to do in, in quite such large doses before. But it does make um, work productivity somewhat of a challenge. <laughs> and uh, and there's only so much you can do with uh, a one-year-old hanging onto your leg asking you to sing another time around Old MacDonald Had a Farm. Anyway, here I am, and here we are finally with another episode of the podcast. And uh, And it is an unusual time, isn't it? I don't know where in the world you are right now. I know I've got plenty of listeners in New Zealand here where I am, so your experience uh, is similar in some respects, and it's a country I feel kind of fortunate to be in, despite the the sort of unusual and unsettling time we're in. My guess is wherever you are in the world at the moment, you're experiencing at least some of the same challenges and concerns that all of us are feeling. It's it's such a strange and unsettling experience in this kind, of, and it's such a global experience as well. And so there's no one you can really reach out to to tell tell all about it because everybody's in the midst of same kind of thing, albeit in, in slightly different contexts and different ways. And there are a whole group of intersecting challenges coming at us, coming at us all at the same time. And uh, there's the anxiety, I guess, for many about the spread of the virus itself and the health of us and maybe of our loved ones, especially for those who might be more vulnerable uh, or compromised in some kind of way. That might be you. Uh, and there can be anxiety, deep anxiety that comes along with that, there's um, potentially for some the, the the grief of loss that has come either for uh, very close to you or surrounding you in some kind of way and then the added layers of grief of not being able to participate in the rituals of, of grieving with one another that help us to um, integrate and to make sense of our experience and to be there for one another. Uh, for some of us, it's maybe it's just it's it's less than that, but it's just the implications of the kind of isolation we're having to endure, and that can be small things like not being able to get a coffee from your regular spot, uh, or it can be you know larger larger things, and and um, and that kind of creeping sense of aloneness that that might be present for some of you. Uh, the isolation itself can be such a different experience. You know, for some of us, it's this frantic juggling of work and children and and how we make sense of all of that. And for others, it's just being alone. For others, it's um, not much to do at all, and it's what Netflix series can I binge next. Um, And then there's the financial challenges that are layering on top of that for so many as jobs dissolve and businesses struggle. And Man, that's a lot to all be facing at the same time. And then 
you know, just one of these things would be stressful, but when they intersect and layer on top of each other, I think it can be hard to handle when you read the news and there's no other news than this. There's no sports to follow. There's no, you know, it's just, it's it's overwhelming and it's all-consuming in many respects. And I've been surprised personally at how I felt during this time. I knew that I knew that juggling work from home and looking after Rufus full-time would be a challenge and, and a bit stressful, but, and maybe initially that's, uh, you know, it was, front and centre of my mind but then lately it's just been this feeling of of being stuck you know <laughs> uh, like the walls are closing in a little bit and I know I'm super privileged in, in so many ways and you know currently as it is anyway have security of, of some employment um, and haven't been hit too close to home in terms of the virus itself but but that feeling of kind of being of kind of being trapped is unnerving, and and even if you know it's it's the right thing to be doing, and it's what we must all do, it doesn't make it necessarily an easy thing to navigate. And I don't tell you all of this as if it's something you don't already know or experience. And for some of you, you might be like, "Oh, I'm just having a I'm having a lovely time isolating away by myself." Uh, but I think it is good for us to be able to acknowledge where we're at. And, you know, while for some people maybe they see this as a season of opportunity and creativity and productivity, uh, it's also important that for those for whom this is really hard, we're able to name that and realize that it's okay to feel like that. You're not a failure if you haven't used this time to learn how to make sourdough or to write a hundred songs or whatever else it might be. Um, so I found it harder than I anticipated. And... Um, Anyway, we continue to navigate through uh, deeply uncertain times. And it seems like an interesting time, perhaps then, to be in the middle of a series on divine intervention in this podcast, because so much of what we've been talking about over the past few episodes have related to this question of whether God interacts or intervenes in the world, if God is active and present, does God heal or not, does God stop suffering or not. Uh, And the challenges that sit in these questions for people who hold to some kind of belief in a divine reality, God, whatever term we might want to use, you know, these questions are front and center in a a season like this. And I hear a lot of well-meaning Christian stuff said during a time like this, and religious stuff perhaps more generally. And it's really understandable. Uh, You know, I've heard lots of kind of attempts to, I guess, I wonder if it's attempt to self-soothe in in a sense and and also to comfort others. You know, God knew this would happen. God knew in advance. And so, you know, he'll look after us. God is in control. This is not a surprise to God. Um, It's all part of God's plan. Um, All part of some big elaborate divine plan to bring out some more glorious goal or it's a wonderful opportunity for the church to rise up. I don't know, all of these... I guess ways of trying to make sense of the question of why is something like this happening in the way that it is and where is God in it? Uh, and so some of what we do when we when we hit that experience is to try and come up with a reason why God is somehow orchestrating these events uh, as if that gives us some sense of comfort and certainty. Uh, and for some, perhaps it does provide some comfort. Uh, you know, even if everything might feel chaotic and unstable around us, you know, there's this God who's not bothered or flustered and is in charge of the whole thing, working out this glorious, wonderful plan. Um, and, I, you know, I have real empathy for those who find that an encouraging way to think. Um, I guess I, I just don't. I, I don't find that an encouraging or comforting way to think. You know, this, this God who is able to heal, who is all-powerful and is totally all in control, 
I feel like it starts to sound pretty hollow at a time like this when we're facing a global pandemic that's killing tens of thousands of people, you know. Um, and if God's got some wonderful plan he's outworking, then then what does that say about the way God chooses to outwork plans? I find that not comforting but cold. I find it troubling. And I don't find it to be a coherent way of making sense of who God is or what God might be like if there is one. So uh, as I've maintained in this series so far, there have to be, I think, alternate or there have to be alternative ways of, of thinking about God if we're going to hang on to any, if I'm going to hang on to any sort of belief in a divine reality and, and maybe with you with me in that. So this is episode 34 of In The Shift. Let's get into it. <laughs> So there are two things I want to talk about in this episode. One is the notion of human vulnerability, and the other is the question of divine presence. So let's start with us. And the older I get, the more I'm convinced we have to come to terms with our own own vulnerability. Uh, And, you know, although we start off with a lot of bluff and bluster, um, or many of us do, if we're privileged enough to be healthy, to be whole, and to be living in the midst of perhaps families and communities that are stable and enable us to have a good start at life, then then we then we can start off with a sense of invulnerability, or or you know, and it's part of our own brain development as well. But ultimately, we have to come to terms at some point with the fact that we are fragile creatures. You know, you might not start off telling a four year old how fragile they are. They that might not be what they need to hear. But we do have to grow into that realisation at some point, that we are born into this world totally dependent and completely vulnerable. And we develop competencies along the way, of course, but that vulnerability never leaves us. We do get sick, we get injured, we get hurt. And at some point, all of us face the inevitability of death. Aren't you so glad you tuned in <laughs> to this episode? Now, you know, I don't say this to, to kind of glory in our vulnerability or to slap ourselves around the face with it and 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 so on. But but for us to be able to name this, I think, is an important place to start because no amount of faith, no claims about prayer or about God or about human beings as divine image bearers or whatever else we might want to say can get us out of this situation. Of course, it's not the only thing about us. There are many other aspects to us, to what it is to be human. But it is with all of us, and we are vulnerable, we are dependent, and and we resist this so often, and so we construct these ways of thinking about God, of thinking about prayer, of thinking about faith, or about what God's up to, that help us to distance ourselves from our own sense of vulnerability, because it's uncomfortable and unsettling. And um, we create illusions of control, and we create illusions of control that are either totally dependent on us, or we um, co-opt our religious frameworks to help give us that sense of control. And, and so, you know, it's not, it's not just religious people doing this. I think this is a, a, ma- a malady of the West, if you like. Uh, more broadly, the sense of wanting to be in control and of wanting to ignore our own vulnerability. And, uh, and so whether it's in religion, Christianity, or in the wider social, economic, and political systems, we are always seeking to hide our sense of vulnerability 
and to appear to ourselves at least and maybe to others to be strong and to be in control. You know, I, I come across no end of even outside of, you know, I think perhaps um, having an experience of some kinds of Christianity that did give me this sense, this illusion of control and of, of either God being in control and then therefore if I'm on God's side and on God's team, then I've got some measure of control too. Um, you know, I, I probably thought coming out of that system that that's where that kind of construct primarily lay, but it's interesting even lately just seeing the number of ways in which various forms of spiritualities or of positive thinking or whatever it might be try to tell us that we can control our reality, that we can manipulate uh, the reality around us to bend to our will and to our needs and to our wants. And the problem with all of this is that, yes, of course, there are things we can control. There are things that we can manage and change. But there is so much to which we are simply vulnerable and dependent. And you cannot get around that. And I think one of the challenge, one of the problems perhaps of trying to avoid our own sense of vulnerability is that, it, is that we miss out on what that, that realisation actually offers us. And, um, and look, I'm not wanting to take the current COVID-19 situation and turn it into some opportunity for a profound insight. Um, but I think it does highlight to us again our sense of human vulnerability for all of our for all of our modernity, we remain vulnerable creatures. And I think this does offer us something. I think this sense of our own vulnerability, in the first instance perhaps, offers us an awareness of our dependence. We are deeply dependent on the creation, the, the earth, the cosmos in which that we inhabit. We are dependent on the ecosystem around us, to continue to function and to provide and to resource us with that which we need to live. We're dependent on it for the breath that fills our lungs. We're dependent on it for the food that we eat. We're dependent on it for the flourishing of our immunity. We are, you know, we are deeply dependent on the ecosystem, the the creation, whatever, whatever, again, whatever name you want to give it, that we inhabit and that we are a part of. And um and I think that awareness of dependence means you actually treat then you not only start to see the world around you differently, you perhaps are invited and challenged to treat it differently as well because you recognise in fact that the world, the earth is not here to simply be used for our resourcing but that we are dependent on it for our very life and so we must care for it. Not only do we have this dependence on this kind of uh, world, earth around us, is an awareness of our dependence on others. I think maybe isolation is this deep reminder of that for us, of how dependent we are on others. And um, and in an embodied sense as well. And so no amount of um, Zoom calls right now necessarily makes up for the embodied presence of others in our lives. So there's an awareness, I think, a heightened awareness and therefore an appreciation of uh, the, the world, the earth, the ecosystem that we inhabit and also those others in our lives that um, help hold us together. And then there's a third layer of dependence that perhaps we can become increasingly aware of and that's a dependence on that or whom 
holds everything together and gives energy and life to all things, which we might name as God. And that might not be a place that you land, but if it is, that opportunity for becoming aware of that sense that I am not an island, but in some way deeply dependent on many layers of reality and the ultimate source of all things. Well, that that's a that is an important recognition. I think in another another thing, other than this awareness of dependence that comes out of our, uh, our recognition of our own vulnerability, is this invitation then to collaboration with all of those that we are dependent on because they are also dependent on us. We, there's an interdependence here. And so rather than seeking to make my own way in the world as a self-made man, uh, wanting to forge my own path, there's an invitation if I am independent and we are interdependent to collaborate with those around me in seeking to bring about increased flourishing in the world. So uh, I think that's I think that's a profound way of seeing. The third thing perhaps I'd say uh, that a recognition of our vulnerability offers us is is a grounding in the real rather than the ideal. You know, we are so good at constructing versions of ourselves that aren't real and constructing versions of our realities that aren't real. I think about um, even for uh, those in religious systems, for example, in the Christian tradition at the moment, all of the theological idealism around what church is and about what it must be and what it must include and what it means to be the church. And I've read many of those books over the years as a part of my own theological training and, and, and reading and so on. There's, you know, when, when we become face-to-face with our kind of vulnerability, you realize how much of that is kind of an idealism. It's itself, those ideas are deeply dependent on things being a certain kind of way over which we have some measure of control. Um, and so there are, there are layers of illusion that we create um, of idealism. And we do that about ourselves, of, of the version of ourselves that we most like to portray and Recognition of our vulnerability, I think, helps us to strip that away and start from a real and authentic starting point, or at least maybe more real and more authentic than we were. The last thing, then, I'd want to say about this recognition of our vulnerability is that perhaps it gives us empathy for the suffering of others. So rather than kind of eliminating the, the voices of suffering and of tears in our pursuit of victory, you know, which is kind of the classic human quest for victory at all costs. Instead, recognizing our own vulnerability helps to give us empathy for the suffering and pain of others. I even think about um, the Jewish scriptures, you know, the Old Testament, which are told so radically in many senses, a story told from the perspective of loss and from the perspective of near annihilation and of being the losers <laughs> in the way the story unfolds. And, you know, where the story of the Old Testament ends is is really in a, in a pretty dark place. It's kind of um, in a place of suffering and weakness. And what that means is the insight then in the tradition is that this much greater degree of sensitivity and empathy for suffering and for pain and for questions and for doubt than we might find when we just read this, the accounts told to us by the empires who recount their victorious tales and stories. So, human vulnerability and a recognition of it, I think, 
If we're starting, if we're wanting to ask questions about God and about how God might intervene, the reason I bring up human vulnerability is not just because of our current situation, but because we have to come to terms with that if we're then going to go on to talk about God. Otherwise, we're looking to use God and the question of divine intervention as a way to cover up our vulnerability. And I think that's um, problematic for us. So that's why I want to emphasize vulnerability at this point. So then what might we say about God? And we know we've talked a bit about how we think about God during this series. In the last episode, I interviewed Thomas J. Ord about his perspective on God and the idea that there are things that God can't do, for example. And we'll, we'll look at some different perspectives over the coming episodes. One of the frameworks we began by talking about was something called panentheism, which is this idea that somehow God is in and through all things. And there are some different versions of panentheism that we could that we can explore. But I guess we also in this need to ask the question, and perhaps this is a part of the conversation around panentheism, which I think personally is probably the most helpful way forward, is what might it mean to say that God is present in and through all things? What does presence look like? And I think at a time like this, we, we might want to ask that question with more potency than normal, because in some senses, you know, we can say that God is present to us as as a wonderful notion when things are going relatively well. Uh, and even perhaps if things are going uh, in, a, in a challenging sense for us personally, perhaps we can still come to grips with a sense of divine presence. But when we look across at what's happening around the world right now, what does it mean to say that God is present to people? And do we just mean that we sort of we get a, a, a tingly sense, you know, when the when the worship song hits the bridge or the crescendo or goes back to the chorus or goes to drums only and our and our and our you know skin uh, <laughs> tingles, you know, is, is that divine presence or is that or or what? Uh, perhaps, uh, you know, but for many people that's not the experience they have. So what might it mean to say that God is present? And and is it helpful? Is it helpful to say that God is present? And if God is present, is God helpful? So we can't answer all of those questions in this episode. I guess that's what we're continuing to unfold over this series. But I want to mention here a few ways we might think about divine presence. And um, and these remain an ongoing question for me, and so I'm I'm processing with you as I explore this. And so one of the ways we might think about divine presence is, is through some kind of mystical experience. And many people do recount this kind of story. They have this mystical sense of perhaps of connectedness to God. Um, now, it's not always clear what, what people mean when, when they say this, but it is true that many people would testify to having some sense of an encounter with otherness or with nearness or with, with a loving God of some kind. Uh, not everybody experiences this kind of mystical notion. Not, you know, when I was uh, in the Pentecostal tradition, experience was front and center. You know, we were all supposed to experience God all of the time. And sometimes that was helpful, especially if you had something which felt like one of those experiences. And then often, it was frustrating as you sought those experiences, but they seemed elusive. And um, 
And so there's kind of a mystery to that whole thing and experience itself, whether it be of the more Pentecostal uh, charismatic style or the more kind of contemplative mystical style, can become uh, the kind of pot of gold at the end of the rainbow where everybody's sort of chasing a particular form of experience that they think is superior. So I'm not wanting to triumph in this kind of thing, but to acknowledge that in all sorts of ways and all sorts of contexts throughout human experience and history, people have spoken of the sense of a mystical sense of connectedness to God, some kind of divine union with the divine, even within, especially within the mystic and contemplative traditions. So I don't think everybody does experience or should experience some kind of divine presence in this way. But it seems that some do, many perhaps do claim to have something along those lines at some point in their lives. Perhaps similar to that, but slightly different, is a sense of connectedness that some have to the universe, to the cosmos, or you know, theologically we might call it creation. Um, this is not necessarily an acute sense of God as such, but a sense of being connected to all things. And I want to include this as a sense of an experience of divine presence because my way of thinking about God presently is that God is present in and through all things. So if I feel deeply connected at some point in my life, whether it's momentary or whether it's consistently, if I feel this deep and profound sense of connectedness beyond myself, which, as I've said earlier, I think vulnerability invites us to do. Then in some way, whether I experience that as some kind of personal um, God out there or not, I think it is an experience in some respects of the sense of divine presence. Now, those, both of those uh, sound kind of mystical and cosmic in some kind of sense. I, I don't know that they always feel like that at the time, but when you go to describe them, sometimes it's hard to put words to that kind of experience or awareness. And again, what I'm not wanting to do here is to package that awareness as if you can sell it. I'm certainly not wanting to cultivate the kind of guru mentality that then says, look, if you come to my seminar for only 599, I'll help you tap into an awareness too. You know, uh, I, I don't think we're talking about that kind of thing personally. Um, but there is something kind of elusively compelling about the idea of a sense of connectedness to God or to the universe. I think perhaps in a much more grounded sense, we are invited in our lives to experience the love, care and kindness of others. And if we're fortunate enough to have experienced some of those things, and if God, you know, and Thomas Ord touched a bit on this in the, in the last episode, if God is the source of love, at the core of all things, then when we do experience the love of others, the care of others, the kindness of others, in some way we could name that as an experience of divine presence to us. That then becomes perhaps less um, mystical and transcendent and kind of... um, and at the the language of encounter of some kind, and this becomes uh, deeply personal and human. 
And yet again, if God is present to us somehow in one another, then this human experience of love and care and kindness can be an experience of the divine, even if God is not popping up behind the scenes saying, hey, just remember, it's me, guys. Just remember, it's it's not just a human thing, it's me. Uh, I don't think God is particularly interested, or at least my ideas of God don't don't portray God as being particularly interested and as always having to take the credit for everything. Instead, we're able to just appreciate the love, care, and kindness of others. I think also um, something that resonates for me is, and particularly perhaps within this Christian tradition, is this experience of grace or this realization of, of grace. And for me, that's this profound recognition that to be human carries with it the invitation to recognize your own dignity, your own value and worth as who you are. And um, we kind of take perhaps that realization for granted in the, in the modern world, but it is it is, hard, it is a hard-fought-for realization that every that every that each and every human being carries the sense of inherent worth and dignity and value. Um, this is not about your status. This is not about what situation you were born into. Uh, this is this deep realization of a grace. And this realization does not always come wrapped up in religious language. We don't always name it as grace either. Perhaps we name it as human rights. Um, but I think this realization is is profoundly true nevertheless. And, and again, it doesn't always happen as a one-time thing. Perhaps it's this repeated coming to ourselves and and this repeated process of coming to ourselves is is an, for, for me is a way to say again that that God is somehow present to us, because there's something beyond all of our jostling for position and status and and so on in this life that speaks to us an unfolding reality of the fact that the human life itself is inherently valued and precious and worth something, um, and that is something that speaks to us from beyond any economic, political, or social system. So to me, it becomes a metaphor, an image of divine presence. Perhaps lastly, what I want to say, or not lastly, second to lastly, um, is that we are in, we are invited to see a sense of divine, or, or to become aware of a, a sense of divine presence as we participate, not just in the experience of the love of others for us, but also in the way that we love others, the way that we care for others. And not even that, not, not just, you know, caring people by getting around them and giving them a hug, but we care for one another as societies and communities by the way we engage in science and politics and business and social organizations and not-for-profits in church communities and religious traditions and institutions, whatever it might be. These ways that we participate in where we emphasize our interdependence and we emphasize our care and love for one another, well, this becomes a kind of cooperation with a sense of the movement of the divine life. Now, lastly, I said I'd come to lastly. And this is sort of a paradoxical way of thinking about divine presence. But I want to come and return to the question of absence. And absence, in some respects, is the question of whether or not God is present to us at all. Is God really present? Or is this just all fanciful dreaming? Is this just all wonderful theorizing to soothe our troubled minds? I think it's an important question to wrestle with, the question of absence, 
and I think it's a question that we must take seriously, not just as our own question, but in the in the Christian story, it's a question that's also on the lips of Jesus in his darkest moments of suffering. Jesus also has a wandering doubt, aloneness, an absence. And this is no kind of magic balm to our wounds. You know, this doesn't go, oh, cool, yeah, Jesus Jesus did it too. So it's all okay. Um, again, we're, we're too quick sometimes to want it to be all okay. But I think that the Christian tradition at its best, perhaps, can invite us to see that at the core of our spirituality is solidarity. Not just solidarity as presence, but solidarity even in our experiences of absence. And so even in the unfolding of a most profound and utter aloneness, the divine is said somehow to be present. And this is present not just as a companion to us, but as a, but as a companion to aloneness itself. God somehow becomes bound to aloneness in this moment. That's the way I suppose I think about it. In this moment where, where Jesus says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Somehow, mysteriously, perhaps, the divine has become a companion, not just of us, but even more profoundly of the experience of aloneness itself. So that now when we feel alone, somehow we may be finding God there too. So um, as a way of finishing this episode, I, I wrote a prayer. And so I want to read you the prayer, and if it's helpful to you, that's nice. And if not, that's fine. That's a wonderful New Zealand self-effacing way of introducing something. Uh, <laughs> if I was from some other parts of the world, perhaps I would tell you this prayer is going to change your life, but I wouldn't be so bold. Here it is. When we look for you and cannot find you, when we listen and you are silent, when we reach our hands upward and feel nothing but the ache in our arms, when we can no longer taste and see that the Lord is good, when the fragrance of the divine life has long since passed us by, when we ask and hear no answer, when we seek and do not find, when we knock and the door remains closed, when our options narrow and the walls close in and all our efforts are misunderstood, may we know Jesus as the God-forsaken one. And so may we know the presence of Jesus in the absence of God. Well, it's nice to be back. And uh, we're going to continue the series on divine intervention as we move forward. Thanks once again to Rhys Michelle for his manipulation of the sound quality of this recording. Uh, to my Patreon supporters who help to keep this thing going, of course, if you want to join the crew of Patreon supporters, become a supporter of the podcast, you can go to patreon.com slash in the shift. Um, and I'll see you next time.